is correct. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing the movie that redefined how a lot of people look at serial killers, fava beans, Chianti, and skin lotion. The 1990 blockbuster, critical darling, and psychological masterpiece, The Silence of the Lambs. Directed by Jonathan Demme and starring Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, Scott Glenn, and Ted Levine, The Silence of the Lambs is the film adaptation of Thomas Harris's novel of the same name, about FBI trainee Clarice Starling, who assists the effort to stop Buffalo Bill, a serial killer who is abducting and skinning women across the Midwest and Appalachia. Starling is called in by her protege, Agent Jack Crawford, to interview another serial killer already in custody, the fiendishly intelligent Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter. Lecter takes an interest in Starling and parcels out clues to help her discover Buffalo Bill's identity, but only if she reveals her most intimate fears and traumas to him. As time begins to run out for Buffalo Bill's latest victim, the question isn't whether Clarice can help catch Buffalo Bill. It's how much she's willing to admit Hannibal Lecter into the darkest corners of her psyche to do it. To call The Silence of the Lambs a success is a bit of an understatement. It cleaned house at the box office, and it won five richly deserved Academy Awards, including Best Actress for Foster and Best Actor for Hopkins, Best Director for Demi, Best Adapted Screenplay, and, of course, Best Picture. It was only the third movie to win all five top categories, the only other two being 1934's It Happened One Night and 1975's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And it was only the sixth horror movie ever nominated for Best Picture. The movie is widely considered to be one of the best ever made on a number of fronts. Best psychological horror movie, best movie poster, best villain, best heroine, and more. It changed forever how we look at women as heroes, serial killers as villains, and both true crime and police procedure as entertainment. It redefined critical expectations of horror movies in general, and it cemented both Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins as go-to Hollywood A-listers not long after both had seriously considered quitting Hollywood entirely. It wasn't without controversy, though. Members of the LGBTQ community criticized the movie for what they considered to be negative portrayals of bisexual and transgender people. But the movie's legacy also portrays serial killers not as grotesquely caricatured killing machines, but as profoundly unwell humans whose own pathologies tell a story of illness, trauma, neglect, and a self-hatred that metastasizes into something outwardly horrific. We see them through the lens of law enforcement, and thus as unnerving adversaries. But the movie never stops reminding us that people like Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill are, first and foremost, people. This is a movie that has had a huge impact on me as a storyteller and as a cinephile, and it enjoys a permanent spot in my top 100 movies list. So let's get into it. With me today is positively identified by the FBI profiling database as both a dog lover and a moth enthusiast, Chris Crenshaw. Don't you hold my dog. <laughs> Misidentified by Hannibal Lecter as the anagrams host poems, posse moth, and shoe stomp, Tom Hespos. You know, I used to like liver. <laughs> New, <laughs> New Hampshire's leading entomologist and top breeder of the old man of the mountain moth, Joe Pace. No, 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 you were doing fine. You'd been courteous and receptive to courtesy. And now this ham-handed segue into your opening. <laughs> it won't do. <laughs> oh man a triple plus and coming to us all the way from a book signing at the baltimore hospital for the criminally insane our special guest and acclaimed author of shadow of the lions never turned back and a fire in the night chris swan 
FBI, you're safe. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we'll get into that. Everybody, welcome. All right, so Chris, let's start with you. Why don't you walk us through what your moment of truth is from this movie? And this is a movie that's just, honestly, it's just an endless, just endless train of, of moments of truth. But talk to us about your moment of truth, you know, what you love so much about it and what it says to you about the larger movie. Absolutely. Thanks again, guys, for inviting me. I appreciate it. This movie, man, this is, this is one of those movies that has got so many different levels to it. And you can watch it at various levels and enjoy it for what it is. And then you can analyze it and look at the deeper level and that ends up you learn to appreciate it even more where some movies you can't do that i'm a i got a phd in english i know all about overanalyzing stuff trust me <laughs> but this is but this is i mean it's a police procedural you know hunting a serial killer who's hunting women you've got the inner workings of the fbi and behavioral science services and to your point earlier bill about portraying psychopaths and who are they and why do they do what they do it's a psychological thriller it's a horror movie. It's also, it's about women and the objectification of women. It's all these things at once. With Clarice Starling as the main character as a young female FBI agent uh, and seeing the world through her eyes and seeing how the world sees her and how they treat her, it's fascinating. And that's without any of the, the plot going on. It's just watching the characters. The, my moment of truth comes early in the movie and it kind of wraps all of these things together. It's when Clarice has to go to the Baltimore State Forensic Hospital to interview Lecter, and she meets Dr. Frederick Chilton, who's who's a you know a kind, generous man. Uh, he wants to be generous, Aww. right? He wants to be generous and in, in very inappropriate ways. He's got lots of love to give, is what you're saying? Yeah, and he he hits on her and makes her uncomfortable and makes us uncomfortable. Uh, he says, you know, are you staying overnight in Baltimore? Because uh, this can be quite a fun town if you have the right guide. Is, is that hitting on a propositioning? Yeah. Which, which side I, it, of the line it's are a we? creepy impression, Chris. That was a little, Bravo a little too... And, uh. I, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, seriously. I'm Next time, not so much on the nose, man. <laughs> I've, been, I've been practicing, but he's... But no, he does. He goes, if you have the right guide, like, well, I've had a little accident. Like, he's excited. Yeah. And she's... You know, shut up and <laughs> just like go away and, and just I need to go talk to Lecter. I think but, it's important to point that out because, you know, we have these two powerhouse performances by Foster and Hopkins who are just off the charts. Uh, but you have Anthony Laird who, who is just unbelievably brilliant as Chilton. Like that oh, he, yeah. he, he yeah. the, he's the awesome. Going performance. It's yeah, 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 yeah. He's awesome. And she rebuffs him then and says, I just want to go talk to Lecter. He says, fine, we'll make this quick. And he's walking her down these stairs basically to go into the dungeon to meet <laughs> Hannibal and is commenting on why she was sent. You know, you're yeah. an attractive, pretty young woman, you know, to turn Lecter on. Just his type. Uh, you, yeah, you, you know, are you his taste, so to speak? <laughs> she says, I, I graduated from UVA, doctor. It's not a charm school. Uh, and I remember watching that in 1991 going, all right, girl, like you could like, not to yeah. claim some kind of wokeness when I was in college, but just I thought, all right, yeah, this guy's a creep. No one likes him. And what Chilton does is fine. Then you can follow the rules. Don't touch the glass. Don't take anything from him. Don't, don't give him anything but soft paper. I'm going to show you and why we insist on in such precautions. On the evening of July 8th, 1981, he complained of chest pains and was taken to the dispensary. 
And while he's saying this, they're walking down the stairs and it, the scene, they're about to get into the very lowest level and the light's turning red. I'm not really sure why, but it's very creepy. Yeah. And the sound effects, it's, there's almost this moaning. And I don't know if it's supposed to be the That's air why. system or what. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that evening he complained of chest pains was taken to the dispensary. His mouthpiece and restraints were removed for an EKG. When the nurse leaned over him, he did this to her. And Chilton takes a photograph out of his jacket pocket and holds it out to Clarice, who takes it. And her eyes don't get big. And she does, her mouth doesn't drop open, but her face kind of freezes yeah. as she's looking at the photograph. And the photograph, the camera is behind the photograph, and you see an edge of it, and you see her face. And Chilton keeps talking. The doctors managed to reset her jaw, more or less, saved one of her eyes. His pulse never got above 85, even when he ate her tongue. And that you don't ever see the photograph yes. yeah. Yeah. at all because yeah. you don't need to. Because yeah, one, yeah, thing, yeah, one thing this movie does is it creates, there's this growing sense of dread, and horror and terror all through it. It's all in your own brain. Right. Yeah. You know, like Jaws did with the shark. And I know, yeah. I know part of that was, you know, <laughs> the robot shark when it worked. Yeah. So Spielberg had to refilm. But in this yeah, it just doesn't, it, you don't need to see the photo. It, it yeah. preys in your imagination. It allows you as an audience member to come in and, and kind of, oh my God, what does that look like? The only other movie I remember seeing where I felt such a pervasive and relentless sense of dread actually was a, a radically different movie, which is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Mm, which, which, yeah. which for, for what it is, actually doesn't have a whole lot of gore and body count uh, compared to things that came after it and were inspired by it. But it's just that endless notion of, you know they're out there, you are, you are in this massive plain of texas and there's nowhere safe to go no matter how far you run and like that sense of dread is really corrosive to your your sense of like sanity and ability to kind of parse these things but it goes deeper with silence of the land because like it's just it's so it's so outside your context like there's something grimly cartoonish yes. about chainsaw massacre there's nothing yeah. grimly cartoonish about anything in silence of the lambs and you're like no. this is all deeply human stuff that moment with the photo is horrifying you know what's also horrifying <laughs> Chilton walking around with it in his breast pocket. That's right. horrifying. That's his party trick. Yeah. It, it, was uh, a, it was a power play also. It's like, fine, yeah. you're going to reject me. Yeah. I'm going to scare the crap out of you. Mm -hmm. but, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, one of the reasons, Chris, that this scene works so well is that we are already starting to identify very strongly with Clarice. And yes. this movie works really hard to do that. Yeah. You know, to establish that that relationship between the viewer and Clarice, you you feel like her every step of the way, every little humiliation you feel, and and I think it has a lot yeah. to do with those characters staring into the camera. Mm -hmm. you, you are in her shoes as they are looking at her. Yes, yeah. and it's it's her initiation into this world. She's training to supposedly go that she wants to go into. And then, and, and I'm not going to get in the next moment because that's Tom's, but just what's what it sets up what's about to happen. Yeah. You know, if you think this is bad, it's a minor moment in terms of some of the bigger things that happen throughout the film, but it crystallizes Chilton's character, Starling, and you get more of a sense of who Lecter is and what he's capable of, all without any visual. And that's before even seeing the guy. I love the button 
on that scene too, where she's like, I think I should go in alone. And he's like, well, you could have saved me the trip down, like, yeah. you know, walking on all these stairs. Yeah, right. Like, such- that, that- That's totally like the rejected guy. He did such a good job playing the, the rejected guy. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. And I like, her, I like, I like her. Yeah. Her response is awesome. She's like, well, then I, I wouldn't have had the pleasure of your company. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It is brilliant. Yeah. Because it's, uh, it's exactly what she's conditioned to say, but she's saying it ironically. Because she went to a charm post. Yeah. yeah. She didn't, she didn't go to Sorry. charm school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the things I like about that scene so much, and this actually segs beautifully right into Tom's moment, which is that, so we have this thing with, you know, Chilton is such a vile guy. All these lines he's dropping on her that are so cringy. Like, I'm sure they played great when he said them to himself in the bathroom mirror that morning, right? Right. But, yes. <laughs> you know, and to Tom's point, he just like, well, fine. He practically does like a hair flip as he walks away. He's so like, just blah, well, that's that. And you know, I guess I'm just, you know. He flounced. And, but, he flounced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> on all security cameras. It's hilarious. Yeah. Like, if you're looking for it, just watch that security camera. You can see him like flouncing up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But what's cool is that she's turned over to Barney, and Barney is the absolute opposite. He is professional, courteous, kind, empathetic. Says she's going to do well. Yes. No expectations. No fooling around. No funny business. And you know what? Later in the movie. There's a point where Lecter's restrained and Barney is like, you know, walking away and Lecter goes, Barney, you know, and, and like you can see like it's this tiny little whisper, but like Lecter does not look at Barney the way he looks at Chilton because Lecter, because mm-hmm, right. Barney's never done to Lecter the or, things that Chilton has done. Or if he had to, it was, no, always, it, was, it was very much on Chilton's orders. Like he knows Barney's not that guy. Yeah. So he doesn't have, you know, that kind of payback in mind for a guy like Barney. And I think that the fact that a Barney exists in that dungeon just highlights what kind of a horrible dude Chilton really is. He doesn't have to be like that. He chooses to be like that. You know, it's in, in the book she interviews him. Barney. Yeah. Like she goes to his house after the escape. Oh really? No kidding. Because he got fired. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> or not not after that. the escape, but after like after the transfer. And then but yeah. but yeah, after the escape. And yeah. Barney's like, eh, I don't know, man, but I, I was just polite. You know, <laughs> that, that seemed essential. <laughs> Doesn't cost action to be polite, man. <laughs> in fact, it just might save your life. Yeah, yeah, right. Seriously, yeah, seriously. So no cool. Right, so, so I think this is a good as good time to, to flip over to Tom's moment, which happens right on the fields of this. So, 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 Tom, can you talk to us about what your moment of truth is, and what you get out of it, what you love about it, and you know how it kind of opens up, you know, your view towards the rest of the movie. Oh yeah, no, like, so yeah, my my moment of truth follows right on that and it's you know the first encounter with Hannibal uh, I got so much out of this and it, it's it's really kind of like a dense scene there's a ton of stuff going on but like in retrospect when you re-watch the movie this is where like when she's starting to walk down the hallway toward the chair I'm like I'm about to start rooting for a serial killer this is the scene that makes me start to root for a serial killer but you know, there's a lot of other stuff going on that you know I'll get to. She starts to talk to Lecter, and you get this. The thing that I loved about the banter, like that went back and forth between them, it's it's everything I love about Sherlock Holmes. Like she is giving him, you know, a little bit of information here and there about herself, and you know about what she's there to do. And he's just using every little bit of information that he gets as a weapon to like size her up yes. and psych mm-hmm. her out immediately. 
I love that in Sherlock Holmes novels. Like I hate yeah. that he's using it for evil in, in this movie, <laughs> but it's still, it's got this weird effect of making me want to root for the guy. Cause he's just so like intelligent and, and charismatic. And you can see, you know, like when they say like serial killers are so charismatic, it's like, Hopkins was able to just pull that off like just so immensely and I, I, I I'm still in awe of it like pretty much every time you know I see the movie but you know Starling coming into this you know she's coming off of you know with Chris's moment of truth you know she's just gotten the rundown of all the rules you know that she's not supposed to break which come on top of the rules that her boss gave her yeah engaging Lecter, and she's about to walk you know up to this guy's cell and basically break every single one and he like eventually makes her do yeah. that stuff right away like he urges her to get closer to the glass you know yeah. like closer. i don't know what was on that paper but like how's it held together if it wasn't held together with staples or you know paper clips or whatever else that uh, they told her not to give him but she does it anyway and there's clearly, you know, this this bit where Hannibal Lecter like immediately recognizes ambition in her and her, her her want to sort of get ahead in the FBI, and he just plays on that like he just dangles what he can just out of her reach and just makes her really like come to him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, like you look, you get another great moment of like insane respect for for Clarice because she pushes back on a lot of this stuff too and she does it like really really well like once he's done sizing her up and just showing her like what his intellect has been able to pry out in the past couple of minutes she's like well you know why don't you turn those powers of mm-hmm. pers- you know of perception on yourself you know you might be afraid and that's what like shows Lecter that like he's not in the room with somebody who he's going to a- easily be be able to manipulate no you know and that, that's when you get the you know the shutting the drawer and the whole you know line about the census taker whose liver he ate with fava beans and a nice Chianti yeah it just I think it does so much like it introduces you to Lecter and it really helps I think develop Clary Starling as a character absolutely and I think it, just, it does sure. so much it's yeah. like it's the greatest entrance of a movie villain in popular cinema than I can I'd put it up or it's any character. It's Darth Vader. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. No, it's... But all the other serial killers and their cells are just, you know, hey. You know, one of them yeah. says right. there's there's Migs who hisses at her. Yeah, yeah. this other guy's just sitting in his cell. And the camera turns and and he's standing waiting yeah. for her. Mm-hmm. It's polite <laughs> and creepy as hell. I mean, it's just it's awesome. We talk about like it's the greatest entrance of a villain, right? He doesn't enter anything. We're entering his world. Right. And yet we feel like he's entering ours. That's the the presence that gets projected, which is so titanic for this guy. It's it's so it's so good. I've seen the breakdown of the of the camera angles used in that scene. And you've mentioned this earlier, Chris. You mentioned about like the staring into the camera and it's conveys, you know, what they're looking at, right? Like they're looking right at each other. And you see them um, one at a time. You see either uh, Starling or you see Lecter. You don't see them both in the same shot until she calls her back. Yeah. And then when she comes up against the glass, now you get them in frame together for the first Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And it's it's this great establishing shot because you have all these times where like they're looking right at and they're, they're that hammer and tongs. And then he tells her to sit and she sits. And now you're looking over his shoulder down at her and he's in, in she's in his power. And there's right. all this stuff they use. Oh, camera God, yeah. Really fascinating that you don't even know. I didn't ever consciously think about it, but watching the breakdown and having it explained, you're like, 
that's how they're manipulating me with that's yeah, what a yeah. director does. You think about a director as yeah. a guy who calls action and then lets yeah. somebody ad lib and stuff. It's like, no, these guys are good at what they no, do. There's yeah. shots all through this movie. Like Very much important. When also. Starling gets in the elevator at the FBI Academy <laughs> early on. <laughs> oh, there's eight guys around her. They're eight they're guys all identically dressed. Yeah, in, in bright, like deep red shirts. Yeah. And she's, she's like in her sweats. Gray. And she's yeah. at least a head taller than all of them. She gets in the room, yeah. kind of looks... And I don't know if it's because of the composition of the shot or Starling or, or uh, Jodie Foster's acting or my own stuff, but she looks both like, huh, I don't care. And also a little terrified. And I'm, yeah. I feel the same way. And then when the elevator opens, she walks off alone. Yeah. yeah. Well, she had said Hail they Hydra. All, they all had to get off because, because she was going to the top floor. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for a. Uh, Anybody yeah, my, that wants I, to get off the elevator can do it right now. That's exactly what I thought when I watched it again today. It was like, God, if she just, I, I love if she walked off and they're all like just unconscious in the floor of the elevator. <laughs> the floor, exactly. So it's like, don't mess with me. <laughs> As I get older, I don't fixate so much on how they made a movie. I just kind of surrender myself to to the, the the spell it conjures, you know, on me. This is a scene though, like Tom's moment is a scene that I, I can't help but really appreciate some of the craft that went into the actual creation. You know, kind of like what you're talking about, Joe, right? And I think there are two things that really get me in the scene. One is Clarice is going down the hallway and all those other guys are behind bars and Hannibal isn't. Now, the big reason for it is because when they had bars there, it was screwing up with the sight lines of the of the shot, right? So they had to come up with something else. And the set designer was like, well, we'll put a big like Lexan type shield there instead. And what it does is it actually makes him scarier because it's like oh, now yeah. he's like a bug Absolutely. in a jar. And it's like, well, maybe he's just going to bust out. You just don't know. Yeah, they right? can't even let this guy reach out of his set. Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's, it's that much. That's true. And then they start talking and they're doing that thing where they're looking inside of this, the camera. If you look at this, the first couple shots, it's you see, you know, she's talking and you can tell there's a slight interference. You can tell they're shooting from behind the shield, right behind the plastic. And then he's talking and it's clearly from behind the plastic and it goes. And then all of a sudden they get rid of the plastic and you just see their faces and you see Lecter yeah. looking at you and there's nothing between you and him. And you're like, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened here, but I don't feel safe anymore. And suddenly like, you, you know, you're like, you're way too close to him and they do that to you intentionally. Yes. And yeah, you're like, face. get out of my face, man. Yeah. You know? it, it <laughs> takes up the whole screen. Oh, oh it's God. just ter- It's just terrifying. And it's like, it's not a jump scare. It's nothing over the top. It's just straight, just manipulating the audience. And it's like, it's such a less is more Red. kind of thing. And, and it's, it's just, it's that perfect cinematography and perfect directing and perfect writing and perfect acting. The Venn diagrams become a circle. And you're just like, it's just- And set design. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And set design, absolutely. And honestly, here's the thing. It establishes right from the beginning. There is not a heartbeat of this film when Hannibal Lecter is not in complete control. Yeah. Right? Uh, it, there is not, a, he, whether he's- behind the the you know the luxite glass yeah. or he's bound with the hockey goalie mask over his face or he, that yeah. senator is saying send he, him away or it doesn't matter everything he yeah. is pulling every string at every moment yeah. and the only times he isn't is once in a while when Reese starling can set him off his beat just just a hair yeah. i think it's i think it's why he respects or, her. Th- th- this is what i want to talk about about this scene it does not really make sense to me that it's reverse psychology that allows Clarice Starling to manipulate Hannibal Lecter. You know, when she's like, you know, can you turn that high power perception on yourself? Or maybe you're scared. That, I I, I don't buy it. He's doing something that he wants to do. Yeah, no, it's, yeah he you plays know? another game. That's more, that's just her trying to, you're not scaring me as much as you think you are. Even if she yeah. is terrified, she's yeah. like, I, I'm, I've got to come back. 
Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's it's, it's kind of yeah. like a cat that's got a mouse in front of it that decides to stand up on its legs and chitter at it and go, you know what? I respect your game. Okay, it's not going to work, but I do respect it. And and, and most people don't. You usually I'll eat you it. later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but like Hannibal throws all of his tricks at her and they don't hit on. They don't land with her the way he expects them to. And suddenly he's like, well, look at this. This is interesting. This is you know right off the bat. And that brings me to something, Tom. I wanted to ask you since this is your moment. This moment sets up kind of the relationship between Lecter and Clarice. Like, what do you take away from their relationship in this movie? Part of the story is about, like, Clarice being able to sort of negate a lot of the manipulation. I don't think it works on her. And I think it's largely just due to her courage. Like, I just, I think back Mm -hmm. to, you know, she did it almost like without saying a word when she walked up to the glass with the FBI badge and just like, I think it speaks volumes as to like Jodie She Foster, doesn't blink. She stares actor. right back She is him. like, yeah. she's doing a really like solid, like I'm trying not to be scared of you. And I'm not like through sheer force of will, I am not going good. to be scared of you. And I'm going to yeah. get my crap done here. Without even saying a word, the look on her face as she's doing that says that. And that's yeah. sort of my takeaway of the relationship is like, She's clearly outclassed by like a superior intellect. And yet I think just through sheer willpower, she overcomes the notion that like he's going to control her. What do you think about the notion of intimacy between Starling and and, and Lecter? There's a neat moment in that scene where she's talking about how most, most serial killers take, you know, object like trophies from their victims. And Lecter says, I didn't. And she says, no, you ate yours. You ate yours, yeah. But she, the way she says, no, you ate yours. She doesn't say, like, no. You, like, there's no horror. Yeah, it's just, it's, no, it's, no. It's, just it's fact, a, factual. It's a fact. Like, kind of like, yeah, I've studied a bunch of serial killers. You, you, you just happen to eat. Right, but, but she, she's, she's not repulsed by him as much as everybody else is. Yeah. She, she's horrified morally. She's morally horrified, but at the same time, way later when he says goodbye, Clarice, and, and then, like, strokes her hand with his finger like that you could talk about that all day long but before that she's he gives her the towel later when her hair is wet yeah you know yeah she says thank you you stopped bleeding how did be polite right there's there's all that there's all that she hasn't had a positive sort of male role model like all the stuff with her family background and everything oh that's crawford though well crawford but But even he even, yeah. Yes. Even he. Even he does some couple. Yeah. Things. He's, he's, yeah. There's some questionable stuff where he's doing with her, but like I think that, and I'm not saying that she's looking for a father figure. I'm not. That's not my implication. But I think that there's an older, incredibly powerful, charismatic male who does not condescend to her in any way. Yeah. And he yeah. asks her to meet him as an equal, and she tries. Yeah. And I think that that's the basis of some of that that intimacy. I think that you you I think I think he does condescend to her at the very beginning, but deliberately. And he likes and he, you know, you know, you look like to me with your good bag and cheap shoes. Right. I I saw that as he was like almost like taking her through a therapy. Yeah. Right. Like he's he's mind playing her. Yeah, um, and, and yeah. she and he lays like that was a good response. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, a little startling. I think there's a little bit of appreciation there on like her part, though. I think it's more like respect for his intellect and more realization that she might not get there to solving this without him, and more than any kind of like 
true like intimacy or like I, I almost feel like that's too strong a word i don't know if i buy that you know they, they care for one another or something well, they like connect. that i think Let's she's put it like, that way they connect yeah they, they connect but uh. i know and, and she's she realizes how weird it is later when he's out and her roommate's like oh you really think you're safe and she's like i don't know how to explain it he would yeah. he would consider it rude rude yeah <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous and it's absolutely true it yeah. is no she understands him yes and yeah. look I, bill i know you wanted to limit this to the movie alone largely but you know having read and consumed the rest of the of the, the thomas harris film over I, I mean she is into him you know she she, she is i kind of <laughs> pretend like that Keep it self-contained man uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you know could it be also like because this was my sense that like maybe she sized him up as well as he sized her up yeah. And like you were able to see from the beginning, like what an excellent job he did sizing her up. Yes. I think it had to play out over the course yeah. of the movie that, you know, she did it right back to him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That scene where uh, they replay her childhood, you know, when her father comes home. Yeah. He, he nailed her. He, he, I mean, he, he knew exactly what she was. He did. But you know what though, during those scenes when he's like, really like he's making her, surface her worst childhood traumas right to satisfy his curiosity about her mm -hmm. he's making her open up in ways that she should not and, and normally would not do that scene when he finally gets her to talk about the lambs right and why she finally ran away from the from the, from the ranch you know we talk so much about how how anthony hopkins was just just running a master class in this movie and he and mm -hmm. he does actually there's no small roles in this movie everybody brought their a plus game it's about the interplay between clarice and and hannibal lecter but there's a moment where I stood in awe when I was watching it today. I stood in awe of Jodie Foster because she's talking about the oh. lambs, and you see her. And she's Only looking, one. And, 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 and <laughs> no, but 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 watch watch her eyes. Right, her eyes glisten and they mm -hmm. well, but they never tear. Nope. Right, like and and and, and that's that's just, that's Clarice. Clarice is that tough. Like she's got the emotions. She's dealing with them, but she's like, I can put them into a box to get my job done. Like, that's who I am. But Jodie Foster is the is a titan of an actress who can do just that. She's got that. She's got that much control good over Lord. her tear ducts. I mean, that's astonishing. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> two, things, two things from this that from that scene. One. We learned that essentially Lecter is a he's a trauma galactus. Like really, he just wants to eat your pain. Like that's what it comes down to. Right? Like he wants you to, to lay out oh, there. Man. Everything goes it. back to Marvel. Okay. Man, I'm saying everything. right now, look, you guys, trauma galactus is the name of my ska band. You can't have it. Okay? <laughs> this guy is the devourer of pain, right? Like, yeah. Been on a license play. Childhood agony. Oh, We've lost Crenshaw. He like went off. Yeah, screen. I know. I'm so, a trauma galactus tattooed so on my back. That's, that's awesome, man. What does he do though? Like she, she gives all that pain up, and he essentially says, "Thank you." Like that yeah. was that was delicious, right? Yes. But when yes. you talk about Jodie Foster, and we, you know, a, a while back we did uh, Alien, and we talked about Sigourney Weaver, and uh, I think there's a direct line between Sigourney Weaver and Jodie Foster yeah. when it comes to that. What you just talked about, Bill, that like yeah. ability yeah. to be vulnerable and and yet strong. Yeah. I made a comment then about the, the physiognomy of, of Sigourney Weaver, where there's an angularity to them. That's it's, it is still feminine. It is not in any way masculine, but yeah. there's a sharpness to the features, their ability to act with their face and show multiple emotions at the same time mm -hmm. with such fine control. I think there's a lot of similarity between the actresses there. I think Jodie Foster is actually yeah. a better actress, but I think there's a yeah. lot of similarity yeah. in their, yeah. in their game. Just, 
it's just astonishing stuff. It's so, so, so good. So, um, all right. So we're going to move on to the next moment. And uh, Chris, you're up. I'd like you to talk about your moment because honestly, your your moment is kind of like uh, my moment because it is a this this moment is seared into my brain as a moviegoer. And oh, just just take us through it, man. We'll get this. We'll get through this together. Let's just do this. <laughs> so Clarice has had her her second or third cataclysmic meeting with with Lecter. She, she's read the note that, you know, doesn't this seem desperately random or whatever? She is investigating, doing police work, whereas the FBI at this moment is acting on the tip kind of lector. We see her, you know, realize, oh my gosh, this guy was a, he's a tailor. He's making a woman's suit. And we cut to a, an extended scene in Buffalo Bill's basement. James Gump. I feel like I, I, I feel like he deserves a name. Yes, and it's horrifying, <laughs> of course. It's, and, uh, <laughs> and, and I want to, I want to give a shout out to the music in in this flick. Oh. The, the music in 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 James Gump's basement is oh. kind of awesome and yeah. creepy and awesome and sexy and creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Colin Newman, I think, was one of them. <laughs> we forget about Clarice. Until, yeah. you know, we see the, the FBI team that has been, you know, has been air, airlifted, you know, to into uh, the outskirts of Chicago. Into the wrong state. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking into this house that's empty. And then we see the buzzer, you know, Clarice's finger coming off the buzzer and, and Jane Gum opened the door. And you're like, oh, oh. You, you come to the realization that Jack Crawford just came to and... What ensues is, I think, the absolute peak Killing. of cinematic dread God. that, that mm. has ever been captured. That scene where she is going through this basement. It's its so brave. My God. Oh, my you know, God. She, the valor is she, off the chain. She has Crazy. no idea where he is. There's there's doors everywhere. He could oh, be anywhere. God. And, and she goes down the there because... There's a woman in danger, and, and she's confronted by horror after horror after horror. Yeah. It's it's hell. She's going and, into. Yeah. She's walking into hell. And, 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 yeah. And then he turns out the lights. <sighs> and, and and that scene where you know he clicks on his his night vision goggles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's just seen the desiccating corpse of the former owner. The I former think, owner. The yeah. you know, and the camera bathroom. slow pans on it, yeah. and then. Boom, everything goes yeah. dark. You're like, what the hell? Yeah. This scene, uh, yeah. he's then, he's he's close to her. He's reaching out to her. He he like he brushes at her hair. I, there's nothing that's ever been captured on a film like it. I do not think this is a horror film, but if it were, this is why. We were all doing that to each other like before we started taping. We're like messing yeah. in the screen. Dude. Because and it's funny, but we're making it funny because it's so freaking scary. Laughter, it's terrifying. Like, I almost I, didn't I almost didn't make it when I watched this in the theater, okay? Yeah. I love thrillers and horror movies in part because they reliably get a very visceral reaction out of me, okay? Because I'm a big scaredy cat. I don't deal with scares very well. And <laughs> I did not go into this movie expecting what I got. And I was not ready for it. And it was bullshit that they put me through it. And I was in my chair, really having a moment there. And people were holding my hands so I couldn't stick them in my ears and screw my eyes shut. It was really traumatic <laughs> for me. And, dude. Those are, those are good friends, man. Those are good they, friends. You know, they're the best, you. really. They, 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 they did it out of love. This scene. <laughs> <just> <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. This scene is 
10 minutes long, which is an eternity in film. And yeah. when you watch it, it feels like half an hour long. It's it's every second pulls you You feel out. every heartbeat of it. Yeah. Oh, my God. At 1 hour 40, Clarice enters, the, you know, ding dong, and she comes, and it's, it's her. And when I saw it in the theater, the whole theater was like, oh! Like yeah. this massive gasp, like oh my god, she's at the wrong effing house, and only she, only you know, everybody else knows about oh, her. It, right it's house. brilliant cross cutting. <laughs> right. You got the FBI yeah. Oh, yeah. agent at the house is pushing the doorbell, yeah. and the doorbell is ringing yeah. like some. I keep saying help. There's just what else could it be, right? Yeah, and he does but, it again. You're like, oh my god, they're gonna. Is he gonna get up? And then James comes what? to the door. It's her. You're like, ah. Oh. So. At 140, she enters the house. At 143, the chase begins, right? Which which is a big callback to that scene when she was training where she's like, you're dead. Why? I didn't check my corners. Oh, yeah. yeah this yeah, is yeah. nothing but, like, devil's house of corners. Like, it's just corners everywhere. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Corners all over the place. Corners upside down. Corners in your face. At 145, she, 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 she finds, finds the victim. She's like, FBI, you're safe. A less honest line has never been uttered in cinematic history, right? I mean, like, right. she meant it. The whole theater laughed nervously. We're like, <laughs> nobody's safe. But you needed that moment. We needed to laugh. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I know you need that. That's at the midpoint of the scene. Yeah. That that moment is at the midpoint. And you need that tension to break somehow so you're, or else you're going to break. And then at 147, the blackout starts, right? And it's I think it's so cool is that it starts when she sees that corpse. And it's almost like... It's almost like for a second, like, because you're watching, you know, in her view, did she close her eyes? Because any normal human would close her eyes at that sight. It's like, no, 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 the lights went out. Like, your eyes have been closed for you. Like, oh, come on, now what? It's 10 minutes, and every single second is so well orchestrated. That is a long, long, long 10 minutes, man. I mean, I sprout gray hairs just watching it again this morning. Like, come on, man, it's just too much. Now, I show this I show this in class with students in, the, in high school, and... Uh, in certain classes, and they're always freaked. I, I love doing it because I love watching their reactions. And Alex gets and, the note from parents later. That's the fun part. It's a, it, we're a private Episcopal school. We can kind of get away with anything. Um, <laughs> I was kidding. Any of my employers who are listening, words to live by by Chris Swan. <laughs> no, the Episcopals are the best Christians. I'm, I, 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 I'm willing never, to go yeah. public with that. Sweet. I, I, I mean, everything's that whole scene is just, you know, it, you know oh, she like a great big fat person. And everybody kind of laughs. Yeah. But you're like, that's freaking him. Yeah. Clarice, you're going, what? Do not go in the, don't Hunk go down the, the stair. Don't open the door. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't open the door and get, but don't. It's, it's, <laughs> She she unhooks the thing on her pistol and like you you're in a Han Greedo situation here, Clarice. Okay, I'm just I'm gonna say right now you you've got the latitude to plug him. I'm just telling you, like right. please do. <laughs> and he just sort of smiles at her and yeah. just like ducks out of the doorway. Yeah, like, eh. He's like yeah. we're on now, and it's I know, I'm 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 tense just talking about it. Me it's, too. It's it's an it's an amazing scene, and, and, and he gets treated like a white ass serial killer. He walks away. She doesn't shoot him in the back or nothing because he's white. <laughs> Tom, you're going to say? Just the few minutes where the lights are out. Like oh. that That oh. point was when I was just acutely aware of like how tightly I had been gripping, you know, the armrests of my chair yeah. and how long this has been going on. It just harkens back to... You know, not only the scene with the corners, you know, good call, Bill, but like the being helpless aspect of it while somebody is toying with you. I mean, yeah. 
he couldn't have been more obvious that the guy is just like toy, like trying to brush her hair and all like that. Yeah. That, that just gave off like such creepy vibes. Like I almost lost it like right at that moment. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the that's more like, like it would have taken you right over the edge. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> again, I'm gripping my chair. <laughs> and he is a horrifying, horrifying character. I mean, uh, yeah. Ted, I think it's Levine, the Levine, actor. Yeah. yeah. You know, he, like everybody else, he brings his A game. And I think this typecast him for a while. Oh, yeah. Did. Like, no one can look at him and be like, you know, everyone looks at him and it's like, he puts the lotion in the best. Like, that's him. <laughs> he wound up but on that... Monk, right? I don't know. Was that? He wound up on Monk. I he think. wound up on Monk for a bunch of seasons. You know what else he yeah. was in? He, he also played a detective in a in one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Michael Mann's Heat. Yes, he was part of he was, he was he was Detective oh, Bosco in, 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 in Al Pacino's crew. Yeah. He, he was also Starbuck in a. Uh, Production of Moby Dick starring Sir Patrick Stewart, apparently. No. Um, yeah, I was like, that's really. I think Coppola yes. had something to do with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I have yeah. this on DVD somewhere. I'm going to go rewatch it. Happy Sunday. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Chris. No, he's. Uh, Chris that, and I, by the way, y'all uh, share a, a Moby Dick affection. Absolutely. Uh, There's nothing wrong. Call me Ishmael. No, it, it's this that scene and this and Buffalo Bill is so horrifying and the great irony about him is he's he's hunting women because he wants to become a woman which is just so messed up in so many ways the way they're portraying it yeah the way that which is one reason why we're i think it's easier to vote to root for Lecter because you're like okay he's horrible but 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 well Lecter knows who he is i think there's there's a really interesting set of details are blinking you miss it details in this scene yes which, which when, when he goes to get his gun he pulls it off and you realize the, the quilt that he pulls his gun off of it's a bunch of swastikas like hand quilted swastika quilt like, well, well wait a minute hey, what, what's that we don't see that again and then as they're going through this endlessly labyrinthine decrepit decaying you know rotten cyst of a house <laughs> slash dungeon at one point you see this nazi propaganda poster on the wall to me, it told me that, like, you know, Gum's pathology is he is so incredibly hateful of himself. He has no idea who he is. And you can tell he's gone down many different rabbit holes trying to find yeah. a, an identity for him. He's gone to pure hate mongering. He's gone. You don't know who knows what else he's gone. Like He's, done, he's like, even tried moths. Yeah. I mean, he, <laughs> and, and it's like if this like if he never got caught, eventually you would get the notion that, like, you know what? He would have completed this suit of his, put it on, decided it didn't work. And then morphed into something else and some other kind of of, of horrible yeah. horrible you know and it's like that that's his that's his illness is that he doesn't know who he is and he's willing to you know just inflict no end of pain and suffering to, to get there because it doesn't matter to him you know all that you know and it's, it's just it's so you know you would sympathize for him if he wasn't just so terrifying and so yeah. easily and casually able to inflict just gruesome, gruesome, horrible stuff. The fact that you feel like you need a tetanus shot just watching this part of the movie is because that house is slimy. It is gross. I mean, it's it's like he did go down that moth, you know, moths and uh, butterflies rabbit hole like harder than anybody else, though. huh? I mean, like you got the the people who like pin them to the, you know, things. Those guys are creepy enough. This guy went and imported them from other parts of the world. (laughs) Yeah. And raised them live in his house. Like, I'll take that over the ninety seconds or whatever it is that he dances in front of his video camera. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. Uh, like, I, I, I'm not here to judge anybody's sexuality. <laughs> to Bill's point about the multiple rabbit holes, it seems like he's gone down a bunch of them really hard. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's yeah, it's 
All I'm saying is this. If he had discovered Pokemon cards, there's no telling what would have happened. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> gonna... I always I always find myself going back to that first scene between Lecter and Starling when Lecter refers to him as the nobody before. Yes. Yeah. Right? He's like, dude is not at my dude, level. The, like, this not... script is brilliant, Joe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is dismissive Sloppy of amateur. him. Yeah. He's not dismissive. He's di exactly. He's dismissive of him as a player, yeah, right. right? He's like this guy. He's not. <laughs> this guy is a freaking JV. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and he, he knows him. He yeah. says he is, his yeah. pathology is a thousand times more savage. Yeah. Than your you know your garden variety killer, but yeah, he's still yeah, yeah. he's JV. Like he's he's Matt, he's no rage style. No. <laughs> yeah. No. That scene, you know, it's like you know, it puts the lotion in the basket. That's a great again. That's a great scene. There's a, a real life making of moment that I love about that, which is that when you look at his face, right, and, and she's like, I'm gonna, you know, she's like, I'm hurt your dog. He's like, he's like, you know, put it in the basket. And like at one point, he starts to cry, and he's like, he's holding it back. That's the actual actor is is holding back tears because he and that young woman oh, yeah. they became they became friends during the shoot. And it was such a raw scene. Like, like, like Ted Levine was almost like, this is so, we're in such a bad place. And he had to hold it back. He's like, put it in the basket. You see how tormented he is. And you're like, this guy is as off the rails as it gets. You just, there's just no moral center you can possibly apply to him because he's so broken and it's never, it's never going to come back again. You know, you, and, you uh, don't know what pain is. Yeah, says. you don't know what and pain I is. Like, I was like, oh, God, what is he going to do? Now? Yeah, right. Uh, like, I, <laughs> thought, thought we did. <laughs> so. I took that to mean that there was there's some trauma in this guy's past from when he was you know an abused child yeah. or whatever yeah. came. Yeah. That, that the, the movie is explicit about it. Yeah, yeah. no, so the movie is explicit about that. He is a product of abuse. It's tempting to look at this character and go, "Oh, he's a monster." Something I noticed when I watched it again today is that only one person calls another person a monster in this movie, despite all the horrific stuff we see. And Chilton immediately goes, "Oh, Lecter, he's a monster, right?" Yeah, Chilton. Mm reduces him to this this concept so he can disqualify him from the human race because the one thing you get in this movie and and, 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 so, and it really comes through in the lotion scene which is like man there is nothing more terrifying than a broken human being right mm -hmm. and and you see this and it's like if you can if you can call somebody a monster if you can go well, he's not really human then you're you're disavowing the notion that somehow you could get so unwell that you could be in that place and do these things because these guys aren't choosing evil these guys are sick right yeah you know, you know, they're sick, they're broken, they've had horrible things done to them. Ch Chilton is evil. Chilton, Chilton is, Chilton you know, is, I would, is, I would, I, Chilton is actually I, the I most say, evil character. Yeah, yeah he chooses. Thanks, guys. He chooses. You can skip my moment of truth now. It's fine. No, no, sorry. No, no, no. You know, but, 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 it, but it's like, you know. I wasn't going to use that at all. No. <laughs> Joe, why don't you talk to us about your section? Because I know it's kind of, you know, you kind of talk about the coda of the movie, which is, Unlike a lot of movies, the coda actually says a lot about the whole darn movie. It's not just a oh, little yeah. button. It actually reminds us about everything we loved along the way. So talk to us about your moment of truth and your appreciation of of Lecter, of Chilton, of the story in general, about how we look at these things. Yeah, I mean, I've always loved uh, the the very end of the film after you know we've debriefed Agent Starling and, and all of that. Things are winding down and they're having the party at the FBI, right? That, that Starling and her roommate are graduating and, and it's exciting. And it's like, oh, what are we seeing? And then there's a phone call for her and it's, it's Lecter. And she immediately, her face changes, right? She goes into this completely different look and she's like, what is happening right now? And 
he is just kind of, you know, talking to her. And you get the sense that like just checking in, just checking in, right? <laughs> but you get the sense that he missed the conversations because, and this may be reading too much into it. I think he feels almost like paternal toward her in some ways. And there's, there's affection and it, I think he's unused to that. And so he enjoys yeah. indulging that particular emotion. Yeah. And that's why he gives himself permission to do it one more time in this call. I also think he wants her to know that he's out there and yeah. because he couldn't help it. Right. That's right. Serial killers. They always leave the nine of spades on their victim. They always leave something, yeah. some breadcrumb. Right. And they show up. At the, yeah. They have to be acknowledged. Yeah. He's got to be acknowledged. Be that, look, I got it. I'm out. Ha ha ha. I'm away. Right. Because it's Lecter and it's Hopkins, it's so much, there's so much class to it, right? You're like, you don't feel like it's clumsily done. But you also get this wonderful button that happens, which is, he says, I'd love to chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. And it's it's become sort of a a bit trite of a line, right? But it lands really well. Mm -hmm. And you see Chilton coming down the stairs of his plane and he is, he is terrified. He's got bodyguards. He's trying to hide. Go ahead, Chris. What is it? But, but, but seriously, I got to tell you, that suit is fashion forward. Michael Irvin was wearing that suit in 2015. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Joe. So, but Chilton. Chris, you're not wrong. Chilton is clearly freaked out. And he knows he has no chance. He knows eventually Lecter is going to find him because he was such a bastard to Lecter. All those years yeah. that he had him under his thumb. And now he's wriggled free and he is coming for you. And you do not want an intellect of such precision and savagery as Lecter with you on his menu. (laughs) It is not something that you want. And there's no place for him to run and no place for him to hide. And Lecter doesn't run after him. He doesn't. He slowly puts his hat on and melds into the crowd and could be anybody out there. He saunters after yep. him and he van and he slowly vanishes into the crowd. As yeah. The credits roll. And you're like, he could be anywhere. Could be anywhere. But this to me, he could be on this behind podcast you right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> I could be Lecter. Are you Lecter? Oh, no, there's coming two. From inside but, the house. He's coming from inside the house. He's coming from inside the house. Um, but there's I'm alone in my basement right now. Just oh. saying. Are you? No, are you? Are you? Are your lights on? But the, the what, been nice talking, guys. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> when you talk about this this scene, it does give us insight into the Lecter and Starling relationship. Into Lecter, and here we are. This is a, a multiple killer who ate people, and we're happy that he's out. We find ourselves as an audience at the end of it. We rooted for the guy, and now we're like, oh, yeah. cool, he got away. That's cool. And I'm like, really? Is it? But yeah. the reason it's okay, I think, that it's cool is because here comes Chilton, who he's going to get. He's got Chilton on his list. The worst evil is banal evil, right? Like it's, Right. And we have yeah. a spectrum. We, yeah. we see Buffalo Bill is the most, like, overtly, like, monstrously evil. Lecter is a kind of evil that, you know, there's, like, a lawful evil to, to Lecter. And then you get Chilton, who is so self-centered and so presentable to the world completely neutral evil. We I was all, gonna say it's neutral evil. Yes. All, yeah, he's he's any all the way. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well if and then if you want to do it, if, if Buffalo Bill is chaotic evil and Lecter is lawful evil, yeah. you can play the game. Children's new just evil. Why is there an alignment chart in this episode? Why? <laughs> <laughs> it's an alignment chart in every episode. We just don't make a point of it. Okay. There was one in the Warner Brothers episode. There's one in the concept albums episode. There's one in the Atari episode. It's there everywhere. Okay. It's always there. We always it. gotta write it. That's true. The greed is everywhere. There's probably one there in the uh, D&D episode. 
once or twice. All right, let, let me ask you this, Joe. I'm going to ask you, Joe. Do you think that Lecter wanted to put Clarice's mind at ease? Do you think that was part that of That he was it? okay or what? Or that he wasn't going to- Not that he was okay, but that she was going to be okay. Yeah, right. I think that it's possible that he was essentially saying, don't worry, I'm not coming for you. Like, you're not the old friend, right? Like, you're okay. I find the world more interesting with you. In right. Something, yeah. He says something like that. Yeah, I, thought, I think that that's possible, Tom. I think that's a good point that he was letting her sleep at night. Because he does say, like, have they stopped screaming? And he doesn't want that for her. Right? He doesn't want her to yeah. be having nightmares anymore. It's not about Clarice. It's about him. He, he is curious about her. Right. Hey, have those lamps stopped screaming? Yeah. And hey, just so you know, I'm not going to come kill you. I'm not going to. Unless you come make you. me, unless you make me angry, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. unless you don't extend me courtesy. Right. I hope you extend me the same courtesy. She's like, I, yeah. you know, I can't do that. I remember thinking, oh, there's going to be a sequel. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I understand there hasn't been. Sadly, there was, but no, yeah. that's another. <laughs> Sadly, there was. That's another. Yeah, that's another. I don't find it sad. But what do you make of of that in terms of who Chilton is, what Lecter is, and and where evil lives in the story? I think there's some projection involved there. I think it's an attempt to cast himself in the white hat and say like, because he's a monster, that justifies how I treat him. That justifies the abuse that I heap on him and the fact that I get my jollies on trampling on this on this guy's reality, and that makes me. Uh, a hero in this in this picture because I've identified the the um, the true evil here, and he forces Lecter to listen to a gospel preacher at full volume in a TV when he's locked in the cell and can't go anywhere. Yeah, he's totally evil. Yeah. I did. And no no one feels sorry for when Chilton comes off that airplane. Everyone's like, oh Good. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that that Joe is like no one no one cares that. Something's gonna. You're not like. Forget that. Oh, no one no. cares. We're happy. We're excited. We're like, yeah. oh, he's gonna get right. his. You know, and it's, if there is gonna be, he a deserves sequel, it. I want to see that. <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, Lecter's hunting. You know, he's shopping for fava beans as we speak, and we're okay with. Yeah. That. Well, I think what's interesting though is that this movie comes on the heels of a whole decade, right? The whole '80s, which is a th- the decade of the slasher movie, right? Where we just saw, you know, movies of just you know, kind of banal carnage, and you you sympathize with the bad guy just because it was like this weird, visceral, like, well, we're gonna. It's like rooting for Godzilla and, and just watching him trample a town, right? There's no emotional quotient there. The audience is primed to root for the bad guy a little bit, but not in this way and not for these reasons. So it's like all of a sudden, the audience is an emotional, undiscovered country. We've rooted for bad guys before. We've never rooted for a guy like Lecter before, and we mm-hmm. haven't rooted for him for the reasons why we're rooting for him either. But I also, what I find really interesting about this movie is how groundbreaking it was in what you're talking about, Bill, which is that I think it pivoted movie making and moved things into a new direction, including, I think, you you don't get the X-Files without this Mm-mm, at all. No. Because Clarice Starling no. is Dana Scully 1.0. Yeah. 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 Good point. And, and a lot of other things that happened in the 90s in, um, in horror, in, in crime procedurals can draw yeah. themselves directly from, from this movie. You know, Foster is a, such a such a different character, Joe. To your point, I mean, you would not have had all these characters. Um, you know, and fr- frankly, she kind of created like a whole archetype of character that we see now. Foster was absolutely the absolutely equal of Anthony Hopkins in this movie. There's no question oh, yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I honestly, but I will say that I do think that you had, and I said it before in this episode, is that uh, Weaver's Ellen Ripley is the is the um, antecedent. Uh, mm-hmm. in a very different I agree. thing. Uh, yep. But 
I like I liked hearing how how Foster I saw an interview with her not long ago where she talked about this movie and she and Anthony Hopkins like they didn't talk mm-hmm. like and so like they just did their scenes yeah uh, Hopkins when Hopkins says the whole thing about the fava beans and the nice Chianti and apparently he didn't know how to pronounce Chianti so he said Chianti yeah. he does the <laughs> she had no idea he was going to do that and so her look of like startled horror is genuine and they're like keep that like, that's <laughs> going in that's good print it it's good yeah and they didn't a zoom where foster and hopkins were talking recently you know this past year of COVID, talking about and they mentioned this movie and how they they respect each other so much but she was scared of him and yeah. it's like what i was in awe be? of you and they're like yeah. really it was it was kind yeah. of it was really cute yeah but they were such professionals at what they did and the roles that they embody yeah we see movies usually we have one of those two and yeah this movie's got both they're equally just freaking yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer that, and jodie foster has been one of my favorite actresses for for a very long time uh, Titan. And, she's so good and anthony hopkins is probably my favorite actor I, i'm convinced yeah. that he's if not the best he's in the top five actors of my lifetime and I think that if you want to put that into sharp relief, this guy just beat out the ghost of Chadwick Boseman for an Oscar at like 85 or whatever the heck. That's how well regarded he is in the industry. Can we talk a little little bit about his infamous escape scene from the- Oh, please. Oh, I'd like to. Oh my God. Because like like one of the reasons why I love the Chilton Coda so much, he's he's talking about, and like he's talking to, he's like, like, we have the security system, right? Yeah, we have it. And I'm like, Dude, you are F-U-C-T. And you know why? Because we also went down in Nashville. So let's talk about Nashville because honestly, I, dude, it's it, – it, nah. Joe, walk us through Nashville, please. Because Well, listen, I, I, the best part about Nashville to me is that the cop that's guarding him is actually the the leader of the um, the good old boys Boyle. from uh, the Blues Brothers. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I just keep, yeah. And also, and also, John Rambo's liaison and first. Right, Brian Denny. Right? I keep expecting yeah. him. To say no, 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 no. It's not Brian Denny. He, no, he's, he's the a, guy. He's he's one of those Charles that, Napier. Charles Napier. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, the good old. It's that guy's. I keep yeah, expecting he's, him he's, to say to Lecter, "It's going to be hard for you to eat corn on the cob with no f- teeth." I love I love that uh, a lot, but here yeah. not only now they've got him in bars, but they've got him like in the middle of a room with the spotlights. It's like Magneto, yeah. right? Like they've got him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like a giant bird cage. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. gothic and weird. Like, and that's that's where Lecter would that that's like with a sibling chamber. And box. yet, yeah, and yet, and they've got him stripped down. He's in like the white you know onesie essentially. But there's a dignity that cannot be stripped away from this guy, and it's so compelling. His yeah. carriage, yeah. his carriage is permanently erect. His gaze is always level. He is self-possessed at all times. And there's a terror that comes along with that when you, you know, yeah, when your yeah. adversary is always acting like they're in control, even when you, when you know who that is looking at you like that. Yeah, exactly. Yes, right. Yes. Yes, Joe. You've got the moth pinned to the board, but the moth still has you in its sights. Right. And that's. Gotta yep. be so when he gets like, you know, he's listening to the music and he's drawing and everything. But one mistake, the simplest little tiny mistake and it opens the floodgates, and this guy comes out. Now we get the one moment here of unbridled savagery. We've had it that he's this intellectual yeah. villain, right? He's he uses his mental yeah. powers to break people down and and all this other stuff. But now he takes the ability, like 
he handcuffs that poor bastard to the to the bars and he beats the living daylights out of the guy with his own PR 24. And then Mace's and him, oh and my yeah. god, just the and the blood is spurting. It runs up the score on that guy. Oh, <laughs> really? Well, he's got some <laughs> slow he just slowly draws the baton out and looks down. Yeah. Like, and the like he's about just, to conduct the symphony. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. and the the cop just belt just goes ah like yeah. it's 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 defiance and fear and, and and like you know what just... I love so much about that moment is that, is that he's like, ah, that cop has a sidearm on him. Fears yeah. the mind killer, right? And right. If, 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 you know, it's, it's one of those. Like, a good Dune quote in there somewhere. Like, I love it. There's a beatific look on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great. It is, he is, that's he a is, perfect um, word. <laughs> he is in uh, ecstasy as he's killing this yeah. guy. True. And yeah, it's it's almost like a sexual release as he's just like yeah. Yeah. You know, this and, is and afterwards, <sighs> afterwards he's just yeah he just yeah. you know this this listening to the classical music I don't remember what it is yeah, his, he's got his blood all did over not him. elevate no, no never over and then he then he, and then he gets he gets interrupted because Pembry is like the guy's been he's beat up and maced just like trying to crawl away and he's like whenever you're ready oh right and he pulls out a knife his clasp knife and it's like. That the other cop had, and he's like, "Oh, this will do." Whenever yeah. you're ready. Like, what? Yeah. So yeah. one of the one of the things I love about that is that after it all comes in, is, is when when they, they cut back to Sergeant Tate, right? Who is uh, what, I think, the guy with the mustache? With the best cop mustache yeah. ever oh, filmed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All respect to Joe's dad. Stars. Joe's dad never had. Who, an sent epic... the, who sent the thing up to five? Yeah. Because he's like, what? Yeah. yeah. He's got All like a freaking like. This guy is like he stepped out of the TARDIS from the OK Corral with that mustache. It just goes all the way it's to his jawline. It's, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's so fantastic. But but the, what I think is so great is that he is he's competent, he's sharp, he you know he's holding it together. And like the cops, like it works because the cops are competent. They're not like a bunch of bumbling yeah, idiots. And like they're, they're bringing all the firepower. They're not making classic stupid slasher mistakes. Like get in there, and these yeah, guys come like, in. They've got these MP5s pointed up there, and I remember these two guys with machine pistols looking at a guy they think is about five feet away from them. And I remember in the movie thinking, "Those, that's not enough guns." Okay, like, like right. you, you may want to call in the air You're force. You're gonna need a bigger boat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, you know, because in in, in yes. a lot of lesser thrillers, the cops become such chumps, right? So you're like, "Well, right. of course the bad guy got away." Here, these cops appear to be doing everything that you would think of them to be doing, and that's why it matters so much more that that Lecter so effortlessly just slips right by them. You're like, oh my god, if he can get through that dragnet, then, I mean, it, it, and you died. want him to, and I don't understand yeah. why, and yet you <laughs> yeah. do. charisma is not a dump stat. <laughs> yes, Joe. Thank you. The the only thing the cops <laughs> didn't do right is show me your hands. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> I, like, yeah. Before handcuffing him, that's what they should have done. Yeah, yeah right. It seems like common sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think and, you know, you know what I think, and, and you good. know who gave him that? You know whose fault it is that he got it's that little Chilton. thing? It's Chilton. Chilton. Yeah, it's Chilton's it's his freaking pen. Can't find my pen. You freaking idiot! Look what you did. He swallowed that thing, and like, and he, held his, it there. His his, his person, his like muscular control is so yeah. good that he could bring it back up yeah 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 i mean just preternatural that, it's so that's bonkers. why he was sitting for a little extra time it, it, yeah the, no, the but, toilet area oh god this is it's, it's all so good but that that scene is so creepy and 
you know, like what he does to Boyle, you know, and just like fillets him like this Turns big him into an angel. intestinal just, angel. Uh, like all those cops had PTSD forever. Okay, they're yeah. all on disability. Well, they're done. Let's, those let's guys remember, are finished. There are times, and one of one of the things that this film does really well is it gives us reminders that Lecter is evil. It gives us stuff like that, yeah. and it also gives it's us reminders needed, that yeah. that he has his own psychoses and like, and that he can't help himself because and there's a yeah. scene with the senator where oh. he, he up under nipples right like he becomes immediately <laughs> like crude he didn't need to do that. no need of it no need no. of it at all he does it because he has to he can yeah yeah but he has to get in a body shot can, just for the heck of it he can't not yeah right. yeah exactly joe yeah. who he is the display of the intestines of the you know like you know, it makes you think again about the photograph that didn't get shown at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> right? This movie showed everything else. Like, yeah. we saw people with their skin flayed off. You saw, like, you know, yeah. bodies being pulled out of, you know, rivers after, you know, how many days. And, and then, then you know, it just, it harkens back to that, like, never show the shark, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Part of yeah. it was so masterfully played. Yeah. What they know. needed to show, at that moment, they showed... When Lecter lunges at the guy, like he's lunging at the camera to bite his face, and you see yeah. him do it, and it's yeah. very quick, and it's yeah. not a lesser director would have made a lot more of that. Yeah, right. It's yeah. it's horrifying, but it's just quick enough. The the I think him beating, you know, the other yeah. cop with oh, the with if, the if baton you, is worse, but yeah, it's all awful. And when they cut to the ambulance, you're like. How did he get in the? Yeah, he sits up he you're like, the, and you're like, oh, he's wearing his face. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he's got John Travolta's. Oh, oh. It, it's it's just. It's Jim Pembry, damn it. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I was never so tense about watching a squad of like eight or nine heavily armed cops covering a single elevator car. I mean, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I, I was like, they do not have enough cops. They do not have enough guns, okay? <laughs> the elevator is too damn close to the ground. Get the armored car in here for grace. Yeah, seriously. I'm like, please. Yeah, can we get John McClane, please? Like, we need something to the odds here because it's out of hand. It's the only way to be sure. At the, yeah. at the risk oh, of another so Bruce horrifying. Brothers reference, so hot on the heels. They needed the, the reaction that they had to the Cook County Assessor's Office, right, where they had... Eight billion cops and the <laughs> army and the paratroopers and all that. That was what three thousand volts oh, locking back at once. Yeah, yeah. If Lecter's going to waltz past all this, well, then Chilton has got absolutely zero point zero chance. <laughs> like he's, you know. And by the hey, way, and that's okay. Find that Chilton, Chilton, like Lecter's going to do it with prejudice, not just because Chilton's a bastard and deserves it, because Chilton thought that he could run away by going to the freaking Bahamas, dude. It's a football pass away from Miami, okay? Not remotely far <laughs> enough, all right? Mm-hmm. And what planet do you think the Bahamas is far enough to ditch Lecter? You need to go to Antarctica, okay? McMurdo Station, that's where you need to go, okay? And you know what's waiting Bahamas. for you there. Freaking idiot, why? <laughs> oh, God. It's, it's you like, banging on Elon Musk's door at 3 in the morning. Send me into space. Send me into space. <laughs> <laughs> I like to orbit in that Tesla for the rest of time, please. <laughs> That's okay, because Lecter would be in the boot. He'd yeah, be, yeah. He'd be in the coming boot. up with Richard Branson. <laughs> Hello, oh, Frederick. That's so, That's so good. Right. So, so before we wrap up, a final thought. Ten years after The Silence of the Lambs premiered, the 2001 sequel, Hannibal, took Clarice Starling's relationship with Hannibal Lecter into even darker and more disturbing territory. 
Then in 2002, Red Dragon, about Hannibal Lecter's effort to kill the agent who captured him. It was a remake of Michael Mann's own version of the same story, which had been released a few years before The Silence of the Lambs in 1986. An unsung gem, that movie is. Oh, so good. It is. And in 2007, there was another prequel, Hannibal Rising, which told Lecter's origin story. Uh, but none of these ever really came close to matching the, the Silence of the Lambs. I guess in 2013, NBC came kind of close when it launched the truly excellent TV show Hannibal, starring Mads Mikkelsen, which ran for three seasons. The Silence of the Lambs remains an immensely influential picture, uh, but influence can cut both ways. And even though Lecter and Clarice in the story disqualify Buffalo Bill as transgender, and even though director Jonathan Demme openly and repeatedly explained that he did not intend for Buffalo Bill to villainize any kind of gender identity, the fact remains that The Silence of the Lambs did lasting harm to the transgender community by suggesting a dotted line between homicidal mental unwellness and being transgender. As more and more transgender people openly live as their authentic selves, we hear stories about how their life in the closet was lengthened by how easily people associated being trans with Jamie Gum's homicidal behavior. Such connections are and were and always will be inaccurate, ignorant, and unfair, but they exist. Now, earlier this year, when The Silence of the Lambs turned 30, Jodie Foster told Vanity Fair that Demi, who died in 2017 from esophageal cancer, deeply regretted not making it more clear that Gum was not trans, nor was he intended to be seen as such. Few filmmakers who've won Best Picture have apologized as much for their movie as Demi did for Silence of the Lambs ever since. And he learned a powerful lesson in how intent doesn't mean much once one's work is in their audience's hands. It's sad that Demi passed away without ever fully clearing his work with the community that was hurt by it, but there's still hope. This year, CBS debuted Clarice, a TV show that takes place after The Silence of the Lambs, as Clarice Starling deals with the fallout from the Buffalo Bill case. One aspect of it is how, in the world of that story, trans people suffer from unfair connections between them and Buffalo Bill, the media coverage in that setting mirroring the connections people in real life made about The Silence of the Lambs. In a three-issue story arc, or three-episode story arc, I should say, trans actor Jen Richards plays Julia Lawson, a trans informant, working with Clarice, who explains in no uncertain terms how the Buffalo Bill case has complicated her own life. Meanwhile, Eleanor Jean, one of the writers on Clarice, has publicly said that The Silence of the Lambs complicated her own decisions to come out as trans five years ago, stoking fears that people would equate her gender identity with a capacity for serial murder. Clarice and whatever follows it will never give back the many dark moments that trans people have had having been hurt by an otherwise outstanding movie. But this show and other things like it, they can try to make things right. That's all they can do, and that's what they must do, just as the rest of us must also do what we can to bring forth a day that is already long, long overdue, a day when we're judged by the virtue and character of our deeds rather than the prejudices of the ignorant, the cruel, and the afraid. This has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Joe, Chris, and Chris, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, 
please visit BillCoffin.com. talked about the Hannibal TV show and the Michael Mann movie, Manhunter. Those are actually way better than Science of the Lambs. Go watch them.